0: believe the gospel, and it's a good reminder that none of us here are perfect, and it's a real good reminder that this thing doesn't depend on our perfection and on us getting everything right, and so you can say, yeah, we're flawed people. <laughs> yeah, we mess stuff up, and that doesn't stop the Spirit from doing His work at all. Um, and so... It seems good to me that we would get to a place where we would embrace the little imperfections and the mistakes we make, and we're not going to try to, like, gloss them over or avoid all of them, but we're just going to say, yeah, yeah, we get it wrong. We get it wrong, <laughs> and Jesus doesn't, and we're here because of him and because of his perfection. We're here to encounter God in his word, and the Spirit can speak whether a mic pack starts or doesn't start, whether one of them clicks on or off. And, and really, that we would say, we're not trying to put on this show where you think we're way better than we are. Like I, I flung my stylus last week, right? I couldn't get my mic to start this week. We'll see what it's going to be next week. Um, but it'll probably be something. And then we'll say, that's good. That's a good reminder of who we are. And it's a good reminder of who Jesus is. And we can build it on all this stuff and we can try to make it polished and we can stress everybody out all the time and all of our staff meetings and all of our worship meetings can be about how do we make everything look just right or we can pray and we can trust god to work through broken and flawed people by his grace because jesus is perfect because jesus is good because jesus is righteous because jesus is powerful um and so we are. We're in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through two sixteen today. And I think as we read it here in a minute, you're going to see it's perfect for mics not to work. It's perfect for a stylus pen to go flying across the stage because of what God tells us in this section. Those notes are available, by the way, at the doors. Thanks for being patient with us these past few months as we've ramped back up. I know it's been like one piece at a time, just trying to get everything Uh, back in order, but we'll try to have those sermon notes available each week so that as we are texting through a passage that you can take your own notes as well if you want to do that. Um, And I'm going to start in just a minute by praying for us because that T in text, if you've got the sheet at the top there, talk to God, is us saying just what we just said. Father, we're dependent on you to teach us right now by your spirit. We want you to come and do a spiritual work that only you can do that doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on us having it all together. It doesn't depend on our perfection or our polished performance or it doesn't depend especially on me saying something the right way or being persuasive enough or wise enough or intelligent enough or clear enough that it depends on the spirit coming and taking the word of God and doing a work in our hearts. And so we're going to ask God to do that and then we're going to encounter God in his word That's the E in text. Um, We're going to ask, what does this teach us about God, that we are coming right now, first and foremost, to hear from God and to learn truth about God? And then we'll ask secondarily, and what's God saying to us? Like, If this is who God is, what's he teaching us about us if we are in right relationship with him or if we're not in right relationship with him? And then we're going to examine our hearts. God, if these are the truths you're teaching about you and about us, What do you want to say to our hearts spiritually today? How do you want to work in us? How do you want to change us based on this truth? And then we'll wrap up, talk to God and others. We'll pray again, and we'll say, God, if this is going to happen, you've got to do it. We can't just summon up our self-will and our self-righteousness and our self-effort and make this happen. This is a spiritual work that is beyond us, that is too big for us to do. We need you to do it. And now fill us with your Spirit so that we can go out and overflow to the other people that you bring into our life this week. That we can help them encounter you. That it wouldn't just be to us and for us this morning. That it wouldn't stop here. If that's what happens, we've missed the point of us gathering this morning but that he would do such a work in us that we're really becoming his people and his church in his world, making him known. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians, uh, and I'll read starting in chapter 1, verse 17, all the way through the end of chapter 2 today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you for the... Grace and the opportunity and the privilege to gather as your people in your church and to read your word together in the Bible. And Father, we ask that right now, by your Spirit, from your word, that you will teach us as only you can. We are completely and utterly dependent on you to do a spiritual work in us and through us. If anything of spiritual significance is going to happen, if anything of real, lasting spiritual power is going to happen, you have to do it. We need you to do it. And we trust you to do it because of Jesus, because of his perfect life and his sacrificial death. And most of all, because of the power of his resurrection, we believe that you are at work by your spirit and by your power. And so we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we ask all of this. Amen. All right, First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Uh, and, and we read, you know, this half of chapter 1 last week, but I want to back up and grab it again and, and connect it into what we're doing this week. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's really tempting for me to just start <laughs> on a passage like that. But I want to hear from you first. And I hope you see over and over and over in the second half of that, starting in chapter 2, verse 6, why we would believe that it's important to approach the Bible and study the Bible the way that we are, that we would say this is how the Bible tells us to do this. I always take these headings out, by the way, whenever I'm putting the text in the iPad for you, but I left this one in this week because it was just too perfect. God's wisdom revealed by the Spirit this is why we start and say, God, you have to do something spiritual during this time because the Bible itself is telling us if you're going to learn anything spiritual, if there's going to be spiritual work happen, God has to do it by his spirit. And so I know that's in there, and we can spend a lot of time talking, but I want you to go first. What's this teach us about God? What stands out to you? Jesus, God's wisdom and the flesh. Jesus is God's... Wisdom in the flesh. The wisdom of God manifested and lived out in front of us in Jesus. What else? Jesus is the power of God, when God demonstrates all of his strength to save, when he shows his power over death, power over sin, power over the flesh, power over the world, power over the devil, all of it on display most fully in Jesus. What else? The Spirit reveals, yeah, the mystery of God's wisdom. This word mystery is there in chapter 2 in the Bible. What it usually means is something that has been hidden that you will never be able to see unless it's revealed. It doesn't mean that it can't be understood, but it means you won't get there on your own, that it has to be made now, it has to be uncovered for you to see it. And what he's teaching us right here is that the, this mystery of God's wisdom, you will never understand it on your own, just with your mind, just with human wisdom, just with human thinking, just with a, a religious structure, even with a theological education. like You won't understand it unless the Spirit opens your eyes, unless the Spirit quickens your mind softens your heart that the spirit has to reveal the mystery of god's wisdom for you to grasp it on a spiritual level what else what other truths about god god's wisdom is contrary to human, god's wisdom is contrary to human. wisdom. Listen, this is the exact place where faith really kicks in. <laughs> when the moments come in your life, when you know what God says, I'm not talking about like when you're, you're confused or you're still seeking, you're praying and you're asking "Go, what should I do? And you don't know yet, you don't have clarity. I'm talking when you know this is the biblical truth for this situation. I know what Jesus says. Jesus spoke really clearly about this Here's what I think I should do, and it's not what Jesus says. Like This makes sense to me. This feels right. This is what I want to do. It seems like if I do this, this will work out so much better than if I listen to Jesus. And look, those moments are going to come because the wisdom of God is contrary to human wisdom. The wisdom of God is contrary to the wisdom of the world. And the question, those are the moments when you really find out, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus more than you trust yourself? Do you trust Jesus more than you trust the world? Do you trust Jesus more than you trust your emotions? Do you trust Jesus more than you trust your thoughts? Do you trust Jesus more than you trust your desires? When you know what Jesus has said, and it is contrary to what you feel and what you want and what you think and what seems to make sense, and it looks like if I do what Jesus says, I'm just jumping off this cliff. Do you believe that he knows what he's talking about? Do you believe that he's good and that he'll catch you? Do you believe that his way is better than yours? Are you really following Jesus? Or do you just happen to go the same direction with Jesus as long as what he says lines up with what you already think? Do you see the difference there? Will you trust him when it does not make sense, humanly speaking? Will you trust him when it does not make sense in the world? Will you trust him when it looks like trusting him would be suicide and following the world? That's going to work out so well. Well, you say, no, I believe him. I follow him. His wisdom is better. His foolishness is better than my wisdom. This sounds like foolishness to the world, but I believe him. Because that's where we get, you know, after this whole first chapter where Paul has, the whole time he said, hey, the cross is foolishness to the world. The cross is weakness. But the foolishness of God is, is better than human wisdom. The, the weakness of God is better than human strength. And you start to think, Okay, maybe he's saying we should just be foolish and weak. And I know that this section here, that God was pleased. It stuck out to me today when I was reading it, if I can find it quickly enough here. Through the foolishness of what was preached, right here. Through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I know some of you may hear that and you think, well, hey. At least there's justification for him standing up here and being foolish every week. (laughs) We've got something going for us. But this doesn't mean foolish preaching, right? It doesn't mean that we stand up here and babble incoherently. He's saying that the message of the cross, like the actual gospel, that the God who is king of the universe would come down in the form of his son and die to save people who have rebelled against him. And that our greatest hope is to believe in that dead and then resurrected God. That, that our hope of being right with God is not to make ourselves right, but to admit how wrong we are, to admit how broken and needy and desperate, to admit that we are the weak things of the world and the foolish things of the world and the things that are not, that that foolish message that the world would never embrace, that's how God saves people. Now, we scroll on down here to chapter 2, and there's a huge shift today after Paul has basically said, hey, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words. I didn't come to try to convince you the way the world usually does. I didn't try to be an impressive, polished speaker. I didn't want you to put confidence in my wisdom, in my ability to convince you that this is right, in my ability to be really clear and articulate and compelling. He said, I didn't want you to have faith in that. I wanted you to have faith in the Spirit's power. But then he comes back with this, however, after all that, he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom. That there is wisdom in the gospel. It's not actually foolishness. But what type of wisdom is it? Not the wisdom of this age. Right? Not what the world would say is wisdom. Not how the world would say you do this. No, we declare God's wisdom. And that's, that's this truth right here. That there is God's wisdom and there's human wisdom. And you can build your life on either one. You can build your business on either one. You can build your family on either one. You can build a church, if we put church in quotes, on either one. The church built on human wisdom won't be a church, but you can build something, an organization that we would call a church on human wisdom or on God's wisdom. And they're contrary to one another, they're opposite from one another and you in your nature, right, in your flesh, in yourself, in your natural state, apart from the Spirit living in you and working in your mind and working in your heart, human wisdom and worldly wisdom will make more sense to you. Because you're calibrated that way. You're fallen. Sin has affected your mind and heart, so you think like the world. And it sounds right. And so the question is, when the Bible says something, or when God says something in his word opposite of what you hear in the world and opposite of what sounds right to you, will you believe him more than you believe you? Will he be the authority in your life instead of you? Will you really submit to him? Or do you come and you say, okay, this is what I think. How do I get the Bible to fit what I already think? This is what I want to do. How do I justify what I want to do? That's what, like, you know, we've got irreligious people who they don't even have to have this conversation, right? They're just going to do what they want to do. They're going to follow the natural ways of the world and try to make it as wise as they can in the world, all right? I'm assuming that most of you are here this morning or even listening on the live stream because to some extent you're a religious person, right? You're doing a religious thing right now coming to a building on a Sunday morning to gather with people who would say that they want to hear from God and his word, and you're reading the Bible, and you're studying the Bible, and you're subjecting yourself to listening to me talk right now. Like you're doing this religious activity because to some extent you're a religious person. So irreligious people, they just, it doesn't matter. We're not going to talk, we're just dismiss it, do what we want. But religious people, what we do is we come with us, our thoughts, our desires, our plans, and then we try to find a way to make it look like God's thoughts and God's plans and God's... We try to cloak it, and we take... We're like, the Bible is a weapon for me. The Bible is a tool for me to justify what I already want to do, what I think. Here's how I would do things. Let's find a way to show in the Bible that's how we should do it. Do you see that? Do you see how that's just as much self and flesh as just being irreligious, except this is more dishonest? (laughs) Like At least the irreligious people aren't hypocrites, but they're straightforward about who they are. We play all these games and try to make it look really good on the outside, but on the inside we're just like them. Like we aren't submitting to God any more than they are. We just like to pretend like we are, make it look like we are. And that's why Jesus shows up. And in the Gospels, his harshest words are always for the people who look the most religious. And he's always like, your hearts are rotten on the inside. You're whitewashed tombs. Like, you look really pretty and white on the outside, clean on the outside, but you are dead and dark on the inside. It's dead men's bones and every type of unclean thing inside of you. That's what he says to the really religious people who are pretending that they've got it all right. And then to the irreligious people, he comes to them and he says, hey, you come to me. Come to me. Like, you already know you're a mess and you're not pretending that you're not. Now just come to me. And that's why every week I keep just hammering this has to be a spiritual work. It can't just be a human, especially not a man-made religion work. When we gather here, it has to be something internal, inside of us, in our hearts. Because we can pretend all day long, and we can polish it up all day long, and we can make it look good, and we can make it meet every standard of of worldly wisdom and human wisdom you can imagine. And everybody can come and say, hey, that looks great. Look what's happening. Look at all these good things. Everything that we say matters. It's going really well. And it can be completely dead based on the wisdom of God, based on the work of God, based on the things that God actually wants to do in his people. And this is humbling for us. Like, it's humbling for me. Because I can't make this happen in you. I can't make this happen in me. You get that? Like, the reason I can't make it happen in you is because I can't make it happen in me. But the Spirit of God can. And then when you're humbled, the hope is, and that's exactly what God has promised to do in Jesus. Look back up here at the end of chapter 1. So you can't make this happen. I can't make this happen. But here's the good news. It's because of him. (laughs) It's not because of you when this spiritual work happens. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. If you have any real wisdom, where is it from? God, and specifically Jesus, has become for us. That, that when, he, when he says Jesus has become for you wisdom from God, do you understand what that means for us? Any wisdom you have is not because of who? Us, right? It's not because of you. It's not because I give it to you when I say something up here. It's not because you've got it on your own. Like, the reason Jesus had to become wisdom for you and me is because we didn't have wisdom on our own. He had to become it for us. When Jesus has to become our righteousness for us, it's because we don't have it on our own. When Jesus has to become holiness for us, we don't have it on our own. When Jesus has to become redemption for us, it's because we can't pay for ourselves and redeem ourselves on our own. He has to do it. But he has. He has. Be humbled that you aren't, and you can't, and you haven't, but then have hope that he is, and he has, and he can, and he promises to, that he's all of it for you. Jesus I can get it to right. There we go. Jesus is our wisdom for us. Jesus is our righteousness. Left out that an E there. Righteousness for us. Jesus is our holiness for us. Jesus is our redemption For us. Jesus. 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 And it doesn't look anything like the world would tell you. And it doesn't look anything like you and your natural self would think. Nothing like it. Like it's contrary to what we would do naturally. What else stands out to you? A couple more truths about God. Sorry. He relied, on the Holy he relied on the Holy Spirit? Do you mean Jesus? Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. This is a really interesting truth, and we want to spend a lot of time on it. Jesus, being fully God from all eternity past, you know, this one God, one Godhead with these three persons inside of him, a father, son, and spirit. I know there's a lot of mystery there, and and we can maybe drill into that a little more in certain weeks, but he comes down, the son, the second person of the Godhead comes down and becomes this person, Jesus. And so now you have a, a being who exists different than all of us in a certain sense, because he's fully God, but he's also fully human. He's, taken humanity on himself. So he can fully identify with us because he's fully human, but he's also fully God at the exact same time. And so one of the things is that as a human, we see him relying on the Spirit in the way that's the perfect model for us. That, That he goes off and he spends time in prayer. That when he faces temptation, he's quoting the Word, believing that the Spirit works in power through the Word that over and over and over the Gospels tell us that he's filled with the Spirit, full of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, he did this. Jesus, full of the Spirit, stood up and said that, that he's always relying on the Spirit. And so we see the perfect example for humans, but then also as God the Son and God the Spirit, you know, they, they, they are God, the one being of God, that the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit can never be separated. And I, I'm going to try to spend like just two minutes on this right now as we get into the book of Acts, we may spend a lot more time on it over the next few months. But in our world, there's a tendency in the religious world, and and we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us may have experienced this tendency, some of us may have experienced this, and we bring that, we all bring that baggage. Baggage is the word for it. We all bring that baggage together in one body of Christ now, and if we're not careful, if I bring my experiences and you bring yours, we'll both let our experiences define the way we think about church, and we'll be at odds with each other, right? It's why that the word has to be central, that it has to be the authority, that there's stuff, there's baggage I'm going to bring that doesn't line up with the word, and I need it to change me, and there's going to be baggage you bring that doesn't line up with the Word, and you need it to change. And if the Word becomes central, then we're united. Right? Because it's telling us all the same thing. And one of the tendencies we'll have is either we'll bring our baggage, and we'll say, hey, this is the way I've always been taught, the way I've always done it, this is how we should do it. Or some of us will come and say, hey, this is the way I was taught, and it was terrible, and then we pendulum swing to the other side. And so whether you are embracing your past experiences or rejecting them, I would encourage you, stop focusing on them. And let's come to the Word together. Let's let the Bible dictate what we believe, who we be, who we will be, who we're supposed to be, who we will become. Let it come from God, in His Word, by His Spirit. And so with with, with the Son and the Spirit, there's some religious traditions where... Like all the truths about who Jesus is, like they embrace that doctrine. And we want everybody to know the truth, and we're real big on head knowledge. But anything from the spirit, we're a little bit leery about that. This is a little too emotional, too out of control. People get swept up in this and we can't trust that. You got some religious traditions there, and we kind of separate. I follow Jesus, but I don't know about all this in the spirit stuff. And then you have and by the way, we don't say it. Usually some people do say it that clearly. Most of us don't say it that clearly. It's just kind of the way we do it. But then you have other people who like, we love this experience, what we would call in the spirit. And we're, we get really worked up in that and kind of in a frenzy in that. But you know, all, the, all this truth and doctrine, the word, you know, Jesus is the word, right? The word of God. All that stuff. Yeah. I mean, don't let that get in the way of just feeling the spirit, and what I'm telling you, any in either direction that you put Jesus, the Son of God, at odds with the Spirit of God, you're missing what the Bible teaches about God, right? The Spirit and the Son are always in perfect harmony and unity with one another. The work of Jesus is through the Spirit, and the work of the Spirit is to make Jesus known. There's a really scary place where you say, if you embrace the Son and reject the Spirit, you, you don't have the Son, because the Spirit is the Spirit of the Son. But if you're supposedly living in the Spirit, but you're not really following the Son, you're not living in the Spirit, because the Spirit will always take you to the Son. Do you see that here? That, That biblical Christianity doesn't look like any religious tradition where we separate the work of the Son from the work of the Spirit. That we need God. We need God and all the greatness of who he is, Father, Son, and Spirit, to come and do a spiritual work in his power as only he can. And so, yeah, Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit. Jesus was completely united in harmony with the Holy Spirit. That, that Jesus is God the Son in perfect relationship and fellowship and union with God the Spirit from all eternity past. All right, one more truth about God and then we'll move to us a little bit. Ah, yeah, and then we, God's ways are inconceivable for us. And I'm going to dot, dot, dot right here on an ellipsis. This is one of my, it's one of my favorite moments in the Bible. So, Paul hammers right here. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived... The things God has prepared for those who love him. So what God has planned for his people in the gospel, this this grand story that God has been telling from the beginning of creation and the fall of all redemption until he brings it all together when Jesus comes back and we see just the perfection and the glory of everything that God has brought together for his people in the gospel, that we would worship him forever for his grace. All of that, you cannot conceive it in your mind, what he's doing and what he has planned. And I want to just stop right there and be, do you actually believe those words right there? Because if you do, we have to come to the Bible. When we come together in here and you on your own and when you're standing with other people and say, God, teach me by your spirit because my mind cannot conceive. Do you really believe that your mind cannot conceive the things of God? And the reason I hammer that is because we don't usually believe it. Like, do you know how self-reliant we all are and don't realize we are? Like, do you know how much I trust myself? Like how much I trust myself to pick up the Bible and read it and be like, I can understand those words on that page. I know what that means. And I don't realize what a lack of faith that is. I don't even think about it. I don't think about how... How rebelliously and pridefully and arrogantly I'm turning away from God. God, I don't need you. I don't need you for Psalm 23. I know what it means. I don't need you for John 3.16. I know what it means. No, I don't. Not in the depth and the wonder and the glory of what it really means. Not Not in the way... Like here in your human mind you might, but not in the way that really transforms your heart and changes who you are, who redefines you, who changes your very identity in Jesus. Not in that way you don't. So do you believe that? But then look at this. This is why I put the ellipsis. These things that you can't know that I can't know, you can know. (laughs) These things that are too great for your mind, what has God done? Revealed, right? shown, right? Exposed. That's what revealed means. Like, like pulled back the curtain, and now you can see the wizard, right? Like he's exposed it to us, made it known. And so, what it's saying here, God's ways are inconceivable for us. And the reason I put the ellipsis, they're inconceivable for us on our own. But. God makes them known by His Spirit. So the the contrast here is, are you coming on your own or are you coming by His Spirit? That you can't know this on your own but He will show this to you by His Spirit. And it's why when we get on down here, Paul says it in a way even more clearly. The person without the Spirit, like without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from God, considers them foolishness, look at this word, cannot understand them. Why? Because they're discerned only through the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you can't know the things of God. The person with the Spirit can make judgments about all things. Why? Because when you have the Spirit, now you have the mind of Christ. And right there, see the unity between Spirit and Son that we were talking about earlier. When the Spirit lives in you, the mind that you have is the mind of Christ because He's the Spirit of Christ. You don't have the mind of the Spirit apart from Jesus. You have the mind of Christ because the work of the Spirit is the work of Christ. And so you won't know any of this apart from Him. You will not spiritually understand it. You will not understand it in a way that actually brings the truth to bear in your heart and in your life apart from the Spirit. But... That's the very work that God is doing in the gospel for his people. Like, we don't read this. Like, we do not read this, and we don't go to a place of despair. Like, well, I can't do anything. I can't know anything. Nothing I do matters, so it just doesn't matter. I just give up. Like, we don't go to that place, and we don't go to the place of, well, God's going to do whatever God's going to do, and so I'm just going to sit here and watch and see what he's going to do. That's not where we go either. Like, Paul is saying The Spirit of God will do the very thing that you need. He will give you the very thing that you need in Jesus. So what do we do? If we believe him, we pray like we believe that. We pray like he has to do this. We pray like he has to speak, like he has to teach, like he has to work, like he has to change this, like he has to build his church, like he has to draw people to Jesus. We pray like we believe him, and then we come to his word like we believe him. Notice again up here. You know, when I, each week I keep kind of hammering for us, hey, this is, this is, this is all, this, this is everything. It's the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God. That is the church. That is how God works. That, that is God's plan. Look up here when Paul's talking to this church that he planted. He says, I came to you. So to you is now, there's the people of God, right? This church that, that has started my message and my preaching, here's the Word of God, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Here's the Spirit of God. And it's not just that Paul says, This is what it was, and this is how God started this church in Corinth, this is how God's building the church. Paul says, And there was nothing else. I intentionally turned away from everything else, worldly wisdom and, and persuasion and, and worldly strength and anything else that could have tempted you to think, oh, this is because of Paul. Or, oh, if we just do what Paul did, this will happen again. Or, oh, can I learn the techniques? That, what are the church planting tips that I can learn from Paul and follow them again? And Paul's like, depend on the Spirit and declare the Word. Right? Jesus Christ and Him crucified and nothing else. Believe the gospel and depend on the spirit. And that's where the people of God are born. So do we believe this? Like, do, do we believe that we cannot do this? Do you believe that you cannot do this? Not in your life, not in your own heart, not in your kids' lives, not in your neighbor's lives, not in this church. Like, are, we, are we honest enough in our brokenness to admit that we can't? And then do we believe that God really does? Like he's promising to do the very thing that needs to be done to make it known, to do a spiritual work in your mind that does not depend on your IQ or your intelligence or your background. It doesn't depend on your vocabulary. But that you would come humbly to the Word of God and the Spirit of God would do something that brings you to life in the truth of who Jesus is. Do we believe that he will build his church that way? What's God saying about us? Any of the truths about us that you're like, well, we need to say that out loud real quick. Those, and then also, if there's application that's in your mind, examine your heart right now. What do you want to add? No of the world. Okay, expand on that for us. Right what we what we have received is not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God so that I mean here it is again it's just over and over and over we may understand what God has freely given us that the people of God do not understand the things of God through, through through the spirit of the world but through the spirit of God This is what's so scary and dangerous. If you would build your religious life just on human strength and human wisdom and like a human plan or that we would build a church on human strategies of organization and human planning. Like what's so dangerous is that won't be the things that God has freely given us. That won't be the grace of God in the gospel. What he's saying is when you are really part of the people of God, when the spirit of God has been given to you, like you don't have the spirit of the world anymore. That's not who you are. And so anytime that you live by worldly wisdom, anytime you live in a way that just makes sense to you naturally, apart from the truth of God in his word, like you're not living out who you are in Jesus now. In that moment, you're having an identity crisis because God has made you new. He has changed you. He has given you his spirit and made you his people. And that's who you really are now because he says it. And so turning back to the spirit of the world is turning away from who you are, who God has made you to be. And I think, Eric, that's really what you were saying there with like, we don't have the spirit of the world. That, that is not what is given to us as the people of God and the church of God. God has no intention of us operating in that place. What else stands out to you? A couple more. Oh, yeah. The, the, wow, yeah. They, this, worth they just wrote a whole other sermon up here. <laughs> the cost of worldly wisdom is high and it's worthless. So it's like you've got to pay so much to get it, Right? Like worldly wisdom, the world's way of doing things is always transactional. You do this, you get that. You earn this, I'll pay you that. You you live up to this, prove yourself, achieve this, strive for this, then you'll get that if you've earned it. And so you've got to pay with your life. You've got to pay and pay and pay to get that. And then you find out it's worthless, that it can't reveal to you a single thing about who God is or what he's done or what he has planned for his people. The things that your soul needs the most, worldly wisdom cannot get for you. It is worthless in those things. The things that will last forever and matter forever, worldly wisdom cannot give any of it to you. It is completely, utterly, eternally worthless. But then, the cost of worldly wisdom is high, and it's worthless. But God gives His... Wisdom, that right, gives his wisdom freely in Jesus. You can't earn it, but you don't have to. Ooh, yeah. We're just like, like four weeks now, and it's priceless. It's so much better when you all write these sermons instead of me. Like, it's my favorite thing just ever. And it's priceless. Yeah, like, it, it's invaluable Forever. But really, that, that he gives to you what you could never earn. He, offered, like, he walks up at you and he looks at you and he says, I know you're a fool. I know you're weak. I know you're nothing. I know you can't earn this. I know you can't do this. And look at this right here. This word's been really, really... Beautiful to me this week. God looks at you and He knows exactly what you are, what you're not, what you're lacking. And then He chooses you. Can you really hear that this morning? God chose you. In all of his wisdom that sees and he knows everything about you. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't choose you because he was deceived by that nice, slick, outward appearance you put on. He saw to the core of who you are. And he knew the deepest and darkest and worst things about you. And he said, I choose you. I choose you in my love. I choose you in my grace. Not because of who you are, because of who he is, and that's why you can trust it. Listen, if it depended on you, man, we're in trouble. Because then you got to keep working, and you got to keep earning, and it costs so much, and you won't be able to give enough in the end. But it doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. And he's full, and he's perfect, and he's never-ending. And he chose you freely. No cost to you. He paid all the cost in Jesus. God chose the foolish things of the world. God chose the weak things of the world. God chose the lowly things of this world. He wanted you. He wanted you in all your mess, in all your brokenness, in all of your failure, in all of your nothing. He wanted you. Can Can you just begin to grasp a little bit this morning the love of God for you in Jesus and how it changes everything in your life? Like when you can look at everything in your life and you can say, you can say, but, but, yeah, yeah, I'm not this, and I'm not this, and I'm not this, and I'm not this. My whole life, but... God chose me. But God chose me. And God chose me in such a way that in his wisdom, it's going to be all the more for his glory. The boasting in God will be even louder because he would use a wretch like me. Like Nobody's ever going to look and say, well, yeah, but he was... Pretty much, he was pretty smart, he was pretty good. He did the right. He was pretty dedicated, he was pretty disciplined. He was no. Weak, foolish, nothing, despised, rejected, outcast. Nobody wanted you, and God chose you. That's what He offers in Jesus. I want to wrap up in one more place. This is we're closing right here. And It's because um, next week is a baptism Sunday, and I know we've got a couple of baptisms already scheduled, um, and there may be some more. If you want to talk to you know, staff, one of our pastors, one of our elders um, about following Jesus in baptism, we'd love to talk to you about that. And and probably in all likelihood, we're going to have another baptism Sunday the week after because Miss Teresa has scheduled a, a new Christians class for the week after. You know, following VBS and, and camp and some things, and so. And we're hopeful to be baptizing people who are taking that first step of saying, yes, I'm trusting Jesus. I want to show this public picture because that's what baptism is. It's a picture of Jesus dead, being buried, and then raised to new life. And in Romans 6, the description of baptism is in baptism, you have been buried with Christ and you've been raised to live a new life. So we've got this public picture. And something that stood out to me right here, because it's another area sometimes of confusion, in our religious traditions. When Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, baptism is important, because we just said it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a picture of the most important thing that we know in all of history. All right, so we're not minimizing the significance of baptism. But I do also want you to notice that baptism is not the gospel. Do you see that right there? Because Paul couldn't say, well, he didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel unless those are two different things. And there are some religious traditions where the thought is either you have to be baptized in order to be saved or baptism saves you. Just this external act, just this religious tradition will save you. And that's missing everything we've talked about all day today, that the Spirit of God has to do an internal work in our hearts. And, And so some of us, like we we have this tendency immediately to run back to, well, there's something I've got to do. Like, do you see how subtle that is? Like, surely this can't be freely given by God and Jesus. Like, There's got to be something that I do. And so, well, baptism, that'll be what I do. And so I just wanted to end today by saying baptism's not the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. But over these next couple of weeks as we get to witness baptisms, and some of you may be praying and thinking about being baptized, I want you to understand, it is a step of faith in following Jesus. But it is not a step that saves you. It's a step because Jesus is already saving you. He's working in you and producing obedience in you. And I was trying to think of an illustration for this, and the simplest one I could think of, is I want you to imagine, that my house is burning down in the middle of the night, and somehow you are there. And I've gotten I, I've passed out, and you drag me out of the house, and I'm laying out there, and now people are attending to me, and then you run back in. And in my bedroom, there's this picture of my daughters of Sydney and Emery. And, and as you're running in, I'm like, get, get the picture of Sydney and Emory. And so you go running back in, and you come out later, and you don't have the picture but you've got my daughters under your arms and you pull them out of their bed and you saved their lives what would you think if in that moment i said did you get the picture that picture's precious right it's a picture of my daughters the picture's great but the picture's not them the picture only matters because of them that's baptism and the gospel Baptism is a picture, and it's a beautiful picture, and it's a precious picture. And if you're believing the gospel, you want to be baptized. Like If you really have died with Jesus and been raised to live a new life in Jesus, you want that to be shown. You want that to be declared. But it's just the picture. And how foolish of us is it in various religious traditions when we substitute the picture for the real thing? And we make the picture the thing that's going to save you. Or even do we go this route of, well, if the, the picture will save them. Like We put our faith in the picture to save us. And so we're like, so let, let's take all of our infants and just baptize them. Now we're good to go. No. No. Not a man-made work that only can externally do something. But a work of God by his spirit in our hearts. And listen. A lot of us come from religious traditions where either maybe you were baptized as an infant or you were baptized like at a certain age as a child and it wasn't really a decision you made. And I don't want to minimize the fact that that may be a spiritual marker in your journey. You know, that that there are certain ways that even when we get it wrong as human beings, that God still works in all of our broken traditions and brings little snippets of truth and grace to us and helps us keep encountering Him. And He just says, you know what, we'll work there for now. We'll get here later. He's so patient with us. And so I, I hope that you don't hear me say anything I'm saying right now in a way that would minimize your experience, the places you may have encountered God because of how gracious he is to come to us even when we're getting it wrong. But I would say that as we come to God in his word and we just let his word speak to us, it's clear Jesus is the real thing. The gospel is the real thing. He has become for us wisdom. That is our holiness, righteousness, and redemption from God, given to us freely in Him, not because of anything about us. And baptism's a beautiful picture of that. And so we'll celebrate that next week. God willing, we'll celebrate that the week after. And maybe there's some of you here who want to make that declaration for the first time in your life. and say, Yes, I'm really trusting Jesus. Yes, all my hope is that Jesus died for my sins and He was buried. He took them to the grave and He removed them from me forever. And then He came back to life. And now my hope is that I'll live by His power and the power of His Spirit in me. And if that's what you believe, then yeah, declare it publicly with this picture of baptism. But I just want to make sure that we're clear on what we're doing as that gets to happen here in the next couple weeks. And it felt to me really clear in this text today. Like It just stood out to me with that being the verse where we're starting. Because the other thing is if baptism saved you, can you imagine somebody like Paul dismissing it in this way? You see, he's just like, "I, I didn't come to baptize. Really, in the verse before, it said, I don't care if I baptized any of you because you all are arguing about, like it's significant if I'm the one that baptized you. If baptism was what really mattered, probably I came to baptize all of you. Like, no, I came to preach the gospel because here's where the power of God is. Here's where the grace of God is poured out. When you hear the word, the spirit takes the word and does a work in your heart and that's where God works. And so as we wrap up today, think about how great the things God has planned for you are, the things that you could not comprehend apart from His Spirit. Think about how great His love must be for you to choose you the way that He has. Think about how great Jesus must be if He's so great that He's even greater than something as precious as baptism. See Jesus that way this morning. Let Him be the center of of your life, in the center of your heart, in the center of this church. And so we're going to worship together in light of who Jesus is. Keith and the worship team are going to come up and lead us in a couple more songs. And I'm going to pray for us right now that God will do this work in our hearts by His Spirit. That we we wouldn't just say it with our mouths and then go live our lives this week, but that we would really believe in our hearts. God, we need you to do this. We are dependent on you to do this. And you've promised to do this. We believe you. We believe what you have done in Jesus. We believe that you've given us freely everything we need in Jesus and we're going to go live like we believe it. So I'm going to pray that for us right now if you'll pray with me and then we'll worship together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of the cross and the sufficiency of Jesus that nothing else is needed and Father we know we know what you have said to us today that if anything of real spiritual power and real spiritual significance is going to happen you have to do it And we know that you offer that in Jesus. And so I ask right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, work in your people by your Spirit. Work in our hearts. Build your church. Launch a spiritual work in this place and out of this place as we leave because it's inside of us. Father, make us your church by your Spirit as only you can. And do it for your glory. That no one will boast before you. And that anyone who boasts will boast in you. May all boasting and all praise and all glory and all honor and all worship go to you forever in Jesus. Amen.